Thank you. Can I, can I get you to stand just for one second, and we're going to pray because there's no anointing if you're not standing. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real privilege to be here. I know um, talking to uh, Randy beforehand just uh, about what to do in, in sessions like this with um, men and women who have probably done this much longer and much better and much more faithfully than I have. Uh, I consider it uh, the honor of a lifetime. I'm the son of a pastor. I've uh, been involved with church on, on some level for my whole life, and uh, I still think we have the best cause on earth to build uh, in, in our cities, and it's an honor to speak with you today, and I'm going to um, <laughs> pray about what to share. I'm just going to share from my heart, but I do believe that uh, moments like this can really lift your spirit, and I don't know what you're dealing with or what you're going through, but I know what I'm going through and what I'm dealing with, and we need prayer, yeah. so uh, I'm going to hope today that no matter what is said, I know Pastor Dino, um, he has a future. You know, he said, it was supposed to be a joke. It died right here. We're going to have a Chad Braswell. We're going to sweep up some of these dead jokes early. But, you know, the caliber of people that have spoken, Dino's a hero to me. And um, I know that God's already been doing a lot. But thank you for, for coming, spending time to be here. And let's believe that God's going to move. And we're going to have a, I, I spoke to uh, Pastor David, who we literally just met, know all about what they're doing. But we just decided to turn this into a Pentecostal meeting. So we're going to bring out some flags and just take it to old school. And I've, you know, read a lot about our church recently, so apparently we have some snake charming. We're going to bring out some snakes. We're going to... Can I pray for you? Yeah. Jesus, I thank you that in you today we have hope. That there's nothing that we're facing that you are surprised by. And in moments like this, Lord, I pray that you would lift our head. You would brighten our eyes again. You'd help us remember what we're doing this for it's always been about you, Jesus. It's about you right now, Lord. We pray for breakthrough in our cities. We pray for revelation from heaven. We thank you, Lord, that we know that you answer our cries. And we gather together today, Lord, to, to make a difference wherever we are. I pray you'd have your way. Lift the head of the discouraged today. Give peace to those that need it. We thank you, Lord, you're working in ways that we just cannot see. And thank you that you're doing more than we could ever know. And we love you in Jesus' name. Everybody said Amen. Amen. Hold on. Give somebody a hug before you sit down. Let's just pretend we're friendly. We can get keyboards up here if you want. Do you know who you're sitting next to? Just turn to that person and say, please give me some money. I'm just kidding. It's a, it's a church leaders conference. We can get away with everything in here. So, um, I, uh, It's an honor to be able to sit on a stool. I'm not normally a sharer. I've heard people get up before they preach and like, I'm going to share with you a word. And I've thought, I have never shared a word in my life. In New York, I'm yelling it as loud and as fast as I can. Uh, but it's a privilege to be able to share some thoughts. And this is like out of my normal comfort zone in regards to just writing down some, some transparent things about um, stuff that I've learned uh, leading a church. And I've been uh, a part of Hillsong Church since I was 20. Um, got saved for the 19th time when I was about 19. Anybody, anybody a repeat salvation guy? And uh, began to follow the call of God. It led me to Hillsong Church. And I worked at Wave Church in Virginia Beach for years. And then uh, we decided to plant Hillsong New York City. 
and it's going really well. Thank you for praying for us. We are still trying to figure out exactly what we're doing, uh, but we've seen people get saved, and we've seen people get discipled, and we have some amazing wins, some really spectacular losses that we've turned into wins, and um, if anything, we're, uh, I hope, a trophy of God's grace. One of my favorite things is when people come to our church, and they're immediately disappointed because they're like, we can do this, and we're like, exactly. I think that's the beauty of the local church is that God can can use available people. So who, who in here pastors a church? Pretty much everybody. Who does and you are done? You're thinking about something different. You're, okay. Um, I think for, for us, we have um, a pretty unique setup. And I'm going to share from just our own journey. Uh, I think if Brian Houston was here, my pastor, um, you'd immediately fall in love with him because he's the most humble man I've met. Uh, with the scale that he has. And one thing I learned about leaders that are incredible, they're always changing. And Brian has a philosophy that he's going to change before he needs to. And to this day, he thinks he's younger than ever. Uh, anytime he comes to speak at Hillsong, New York City, he speaks at all of our services. And he's like, yeah, you, need to, you need to speak at all those. I'm like, well, how is this a competition? You might be an angel. <laughs> but it, it's, it's crazy to see how God just continues to lead him. And it's a privilege to be a part of, of, of his church in New York. We have uh, right now, two locations, uh, one in Jersey and then right down uh, in Manhattan. Uh, we're just starting something in Boston, which is going to be fun. And uh, we are just believing God that he's going to keep moving. Uh, in Connecticut, we're trying to start something, which is cool. Anybody from Connecticut? What was uh, the guy driving me, Pat? What was the name of that place we called? Purgatory Chasm? I just thought, keep driving quickly. I don't know if I'm going to get caught up in that thing. I, I mean, I felt guilty. I'm like, what have I done, you know, to get hit with the purgatory thing? Can I, can I read you a scripture that you definitely know? Uh, it's Matthew. Real quick, you can just look at it. I just want to, I'm going to share what, what I've been trying to do to remind myself why I do what I do and what we're doing. Uh, Laura and I have three children. Two are definitely saved. My son's thinking about it. And uh, we, we constantly have to remind ourselves of what kind of church we want to be. And hopefully throughout this, I don't know how long I had to speak. I see a gi giant clock. You must have speakers that cannot see or you blink. We have that. Some speakers come into New York. And we have a, a regular clock. And when they come in, we have a billboard. And it blinks. It's like, stop now. Don't you love it when speakers come in? They say things like, I wish I had more time. And you're like, you knew exactly how much time you had. <laughs> Feel free to prepare better. Now I'm the bad guy. How am I the bad guy? We can be transparent in here, I was told. But I, I do believe that uh, we, someone said, what kind of church um, is Hillsong, New York City? What kind of church do you want it to be? And it was always easy for us because we want our church to look like Jesus. What he did, who he fought for, where he walked, who he ministered to. For us, it was really easy to just point to Jesus and say, we want to reflect the God that saved our lives. And I love it when he told the disciples how to pray. And he said this. Have you ever met somebody who, uh, who prays weird, by the way? One of the greatest discipleship tricks to see where somebody's at is have them pray out loud. You can find out real, uh, real quick where somebody is. Have you ever seen somebody change their face and their semantics? Like, they could be the life of the party. You say, hey, you want to pray for food? And they're like, uh, oh, Lord, Father of the seven seas, Alpha, Omega. You're like, who are you praying to? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> there go my almonds. This isn't my Bible, by the way. If this isn't anointed, I believe it's the intern back there, Pat, who's a legend. 
Jesus said, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts. And we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That first bit's my favorite. Oh, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come in Massachusetts. Your kingdom come in New York City. Your kingdom come wherever you're from. And I think for us, it's really easy to go, okay, first things first. Let's always remind ourselves that God is in this. And if you want to take notes, I'd feel better. You don't have to. But inside, I just would feel like we're, some of you haven't moved. It's fine. I, I won't get intimidated. <laughs> but I think for, for me and Laura and for our church, we want to remind ourselves that God is in this. When we feel like we don't have enough, when we feel like we're overwhelmed, this is God's idea. The local church is not our idea. This church isn't built on us. It wasn't built on us before. You could take me and Laura out of Hillsong, New York City, put somebody else in there. It will probably be better. It is a good thing to remind yourself this is God's idea. Wherever you're called, whatever church you're building, whatever calling you're flourishing or feel like you're dying in, remind yourself on some days this is God's idea. And here's why I say this, because revival in idea looks different than revival in reality. I found this to be, uh, thank you for shouting me down, Pastor. I like you. Where are you from? What Pentecostal church did you get raised in? I think, well, someone wave a hanky. Chad, get up here on the keys. By the way, my friend Chad Braswell, I love you. You're a legend. You're going to do amazing things as you lead that uh, church in its new charge. I've known him for years, and it's awesome to see you thriving. Someone just tipped over beer. Now I feel at home. <laughs> I think revival, revival sounds really good. I think if we said, who wants to see revival? If you stood up in front of your church and you said, who wants to be a part of revival? Um, I can't imagine anybody not shouting you down because revival in theory sounds amazing until you try to be a part of one. Revival sounds awesome, especially as you plan a church. When you start talking about who wants to see the lost come home, who wants to see the blind open up their eyes, who wants to see people get wheeled in here in some wheelchairs and dance out of here, who wants to see you know, the dead get raised, who would not lift their hand? And then you start to see it happen. And now you start to see the disparity of people who like the idea of a local church more than the reality of a local church. You even find pastors who like the idea of running a church. That's because they used to be a youth pastor. All of a sudden, they got all this grace for their pastor that they despised in like one year's time. But I think when I'm faced with the reality versus the idea, I have to immediately remind myself and remind our church we prayed for this. And can I lovingly uh, encourage you to pray big and remind yourself that God's probably going to exceed that expectation. And when he does, if you can make the decision as the leader of your church to uh, break the God paradigm box that you might have, your church will follow suit. I found out when I said to our church at Hillsong, uh, who wants revival? Everyone said yes, but they all had different ideas of what that word means. And I don't ever want to be a Christian that is praying one thing one week and asking God to deliver me from my prayer request a couple months later. Anybody in here been guilty of that lately? This is what happens when we forget that God's in it, by the way. I prayed for revival, and sometimes I see it happening in our city, and me or somebody in my church will pray big. 
you've ever committed to something in church it was a great idea when the keyboard was up there and it was a great idea when people could actually sing around you and then you leave your church and you're like why did i commit to that that that, that emotionalism that hipster preaching got me again <laughs> i think i've heard people say things like you know spirit lead me where my trust is without borders which i wrote i wrote it didn't have any idea it would be such a big song and they say spirit lead me and they feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then a, a week later, you know, they get in prayer because they feel lost. And then you hear people say things like, God, you know, use me. Use me. They'll come up to you as the pastor and say, Pastor, use me. My life is in your hands. Use me. A month later, where'd that person go? Oh, they left the church because they feel used. <laughs> oh, Got it. I remember going home one day. And one of my prayers is that, Lord, I, I want to be a bridge. I want to be a bridge. Help me lay my life down so that the dark can find light, so the hurting can find healing. Lord, I'll do anything. And I remember just complaining one day to my amazing Australian wife. And if you don't know, Australians are not known for their sensitivity. <laughs> and I just, I said, I just sometimes feel like people are mistaking kindness, you know, for weakness. And they're walking all over me. She said, sounds an awful lot like a bridge to me. And I just, yeah, I thought to myself, I got to be mindful of the fact I prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done. If you pray that in your church, God's going to bring it to pass, but it might not look like you think it's going to look like. It's easy to say, God, bring in the lost out here. How do you say this town again? Worcester. Worcester. I don't want to say it wrong. Say it again. Worcester. Or you said it with a little bit of a gangster, like Worcester. Like what? <laughs> if we pray that. And if people in this area pray, that's one thing to pray it. But then what happens when your parking lot gets completely clogged and you miss your, your, your lunch appointment? What happens when we say, God, bring in the lost, and then God brings them in, and we say, come as you are, knowing full well the grace of God loves you too much to leave you like that. But the sign on the wall says, come as you are, doors are open, and then the lost come in, and we're like, and then you're complaining about people stealing your stuff off your seat. I do believe in church. If your church is really seeing revival, you should have one hand up in worship and one on your wallet. Because if you take your eye off that row, they're going to steal everything you got. But I, I think that we talk big as pastors. I do. Sometimes I'll talk big in public. And then I'll go back to my God paradigm box. And sometimes I can feel like I'm guilty of missing the miracle that's in front of my face. I believe that we have to, as churches, just make another rededication to say, Lord, the world is dying. There are people that we need to reach. And if I have to stretch my thinking, if I have to lay my pride down, if I have to change my method, but never the message, because in our churches, only the message is sacred. But short of sin and breaking the law, we will do whatever it takes to see people get in these atmospheres, to see Jesus for who he is. I'm signing up for that. And when it happens, I got to be able to follow through with what I prayed. Can someone shout me down? I'm sharing. I'm not preaching. I'm just sharing. I do think that, um, by the way, someone said, uh, hey, why do y'all do that? Why do y'all use keys? Is that your way of getting people's emotions? I was like, nah, when we first started having nine services in New York, I was just petrified to preach. And one day I just looked around this giant crowd and I, asked, I was like, can you stay? And the guy just stayed up there. He's still up there. So it just works for us. There's nothing behind it. It just feels good. Sometimes music can change an atmosphere just like it did there. But I knew, I knew we'd get into trouble uh, in New York City. I just didn't know what kind of trouble. I remember telling our church, God's going to help us reach people. Will you be ready? And after 
our eighth service a couple years ago, we had a nine o'clock, well, we call it the 945-ish service because there are people wrapping around the building. We just thought, what we're going to do? Let's just throw a service on. And we just stepped outside, me and three of uh, the guys that work with us. And as we're going in, I see a, a man in the corner who obviously is homeless. Like he's in the, in the corner of like between our building where we have church and, and some other place. And he has a Vietnam veteran hat. And so right away, that really gets me every time because my father was a, like my whole legacy in the Lentz Romer, my mom's side is, is military. My grandfather was wounded in battle. So anytime I see veterans, I'm like, oh, I feel like our country has a long way to go when it comes to honoring veterans. Um, but I see this guy, I don't know why I'm crying. If you're wondering if I'm emotionally unstable, absolutely have been for a long time. I see this guy and I said, sir, how you doing? He said, I'm not doing too good. It's so embarrassing. Um, I said, he's like, I'm not doing too good. I said, you want to come to church? And he's like, oh, I don't belong in places like church. I can't go in. I don't smell good. I said, trust me, we meet in a bar. No one's going to know. And he looks at me and goes, no, I can't. A guy like me doesn't fit in. I'm like, trust me. I know this church down the road, they're going to let you in. Trust me. And he said, to be honest with you, he lifts up a shaking hand. He goes, I can't, I can't go anywhere without this, without something to drink. That's just how it is. And I'm all out. I said, sir, if I buy you a six-pack on the way, will you come? And he's like, that sounds like a deal to me. I said, come on, get yourself up. And we went into church. He sat in the front row, brought his six-pack, sat right there. I did what I do. I took a drink of water. I said, cheers. Anybody who's got a, a drink? He stood up. He said, thanks for the beer, Pastor. You know, and our church shared him. And do you know the first person that, that got saved? That night was him. But what, what was weird to me is I thought that, that would be the reaction of so many people. Because I'm thinking, this man's been on the streets for two decades. He has nothing. He desperately needs Jesus. There is a totem pole of issues in his life. Guess what's not number one? The beer in his hand. Guess what matters more than anything? The state of his soul. Guess what the Holy Spirit began to work with? Wait. I thought most people would do this. And some... A uh, well-meaning lady came up to me, and she said, this is like a week after, she said, Pastor, I'm leaving. We've gone off the deep end. It's just too much. I saw the guy in here with the beer, and I just, we've, we, you, 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 you've already sold out. I mean, I just can't believe that we would disrespect the house of God like that. I said, man, with all due respect, when was the last time you met us on Saturday mornings at the Bowery Mission and fed homeless people? I said, with all due respect, when was the last time you took a needle out of somebody's arm on these streets. I said, just, just, just bear with me for a moment, man. When was the last time you looked at somebody who had nothing and saw the love of Jesus penetrate their soul? I said, we'll get around to his problems. We'll get around to his alcohol behavior. But guess what? We serve a God that's about soul transformation. When that happens, behavior modification will happen. He's not preaching. He's not a leader. It's come as you are, not come as you should be. And she said, well, I can... I can see it. I said, by the way, I said, you got issues too. At least he's bold enough to have one that's actually apparent. I said, I can smell his, I can see his beer, but I can smell your pride. <laughs> I think, I, I tell you all that to say, there would have been a time in my life where I would have, I would have judged me. 
I would have walked into a church because I did it. When I first went to Hillsong Church, I walked in. There's a 20-year-old, newly saved, know everything. Isn't it amazing? I can spend 30 years running from God, but you get saved for two months. You know more than everybody. But I walked into Hillsong Church. I was like, this, this can't be real. Number one, people are happy. Number two, there's joy. Number three, there's a neon sign. That's bad. Here, this guy is talking about practical stuff that I understand. That can't be right, because if it's deep, it's not going to make any sense. And then as God started to change my life, I started to realize, wait, I have a long way to go. I'm not God. God's God. I'm the servant of the Most High. So how about our God reminding us constantly that he doesn't need our permission to save people. He will love people we will not love. He will open the doors of our church, whether we try to hold them shut with our own human arms, no matter what, God is going to reach people. I've just made a decision that when I read this, your kingdom come, it's your will be done. I'm a doorkeeper of the will of God. I'm not the gatekeeper in that regard. And I'll give you as fast as I can. It's all I had. So thanks for coming. Um, I really feel God's presence in moments like this. I feel like Together, I look around this room and I get inspired and I get encouraged. And I know that God, I don't buy the media stuff. I don't know if you do, but I believe it's, there's not ever been a time like this in history for the local church to rise up, ever, ever. And I realize I'm in New York, so sometimes the stuff's a little bit louder, but uh, we, have, we have maybe different battles, but it's the same enemy. And together, it's cool to look around this room and see people who are on the same side. And I'll give you seven, seven things. Uh, and this is just what we do in-house. If any of it applies to you, great. If you can glean something from it, I pray you do. If you have any problems with it, you can email me directly at Pastor David at Lifesong. And uh, get back to you. That's my email. It's the church we need to be. So I'm constantly talking to our staff about the church we need to be, not the church we want to be. I don't think I'm interested in what I want to be. Telling New York City that God's not interested in what you want is also a funny sermon, trust me. People will shout you down, then they're like, what? Like, I think God loves us enough to withhold what we want, sometimes to make sure he gets to us what we need. As a church in New York, there are things that I thought I wanted, um, but found out later, no, this is what God needs from us. And so here are, here's, a, here's seven cultural things that we do, and maybe they'll help you where you at. Number one. We need to be the culture we want to see. I'll say it again. We need to be the culture we want to see as leaders. Be the culture you want to build. If I want to see our church give, I better give. If I want to see our church worship, I better worship. If I want to see our church bring people, I better lead this church in leading people. What I love about my pastor, Brian, is I, I don't have to have him preach on everything because he lives everything. And the first thing he says about Hillsong Church culture is, number one, it's movable. It's adaptable. Anybody who says, I get it. Have you ever had a leader who's like, Pastor, I get it. It's my least favorite phrase. You don't get it. Anyone who says they get it immediately or let you know they don't get it. But it's not something that you get. It's something that you continually grow into. And I think I've, I've found myself in, in moments going, I want to make sure our church is doing this. And then I look in the mirror and say, am I doing this first? Any aspect of your culture in your church, anybody have an aspect of your culture that you're not happy with right now? Oh, really? Three people. Awesome. Glad to know that you're a better leader. Anybody have any areas of your church culture you look forward to? Cool. I would say, and we always say in Hillsong, New York City, it's better uh, to do less fingers, more thumbs. 
It's harder. It's easier to yell at your church. Youth pastors are notorious for this, like yelling at the seven kids they do have about the fact that nobody's bringing. And young kids are looking at the youth pastor going, I've been sitting under you for 30 years. I haven't seen you bring a soul to church. I think there's something to be said for a culture that is leadership heavy from the top down. If I want to preach about it, I want to do it first. I want to live it first. Um, do you know who you are in Jesus today? I know that's a funny, weird question. But if you've been around pastors long enough, you know, sometimes pastoral ministry can be the incubator for deadly insecurity. Do you know who you are in Jesus? If we focus on that, I believe God can use that. I traded in my to-do list, and now I adhere to a to-be list. To-do is great. To-be is better. There are a lot of Christians, even people in our churches, trying to get better, and they want a to-do list. Give me ten things to do while neglecting the be. I think that what is beautiful about the Holy Spirit is he changes who you are, and then what you do changes. I know in my own life, I want to focus on who I want to be. I want to be kind. I want to be humble. Sit down. I want to be somebody reaching out. I want to be someone who's patient. What about you? Rather than do things that create patience, what about if we started a renewed sense of saying, Lord, um, I need to change some aspects in my life. I want to be different. I guarantee you'll see it in your church before you ever preach about it. Um, just a thought. We don't have to be good at everything, but we got to be good at something. I say that because there's a... Uh, a little exercise that one of my friends, he works downtown uh, Manhattan, he runs a really big company, he told me about this exercise he did with his staff, it's a good one to steal because it really worked for us. He went around his staff and he said, what's one word um, that you would use to describe how you want people to feel after they encounter you? And he went around and said, well, isn't that an interesting exercise? He said, not like a word that describes you, how do you want people to feel after they've encountered you? So me and my wife, Laura, we took this. We did it with our family. We did it with our staff. And it's amazing. If you think of that word, you don't have to be good at everything. But you can be good at that thing and create that culture by being who you want to be. So I know my word, I, I was like, how do I want people to feel? I want people to feel protected. It says a lot about my gifts. says a lot about my weakness. says a lot about my passion, my wife. She said, I want people to feel home. So together... We can't do everything, but if Laura wants people to feel like they're at home and I want people to feel like they're protected, everything in my life, well, what do I have to do to create that? I've got to be prepared. I've got to be planned. I've got to be promoting. I've got to be everything in my life comes off that one word. For our church, I said, how do we want people to feel when they walk in here? We want them to feel like they're family. We can't do everything in New York, but we can control that one thing. So let's be family. We can't control the subway. We can't control Fox News, CNN. We can't control the New York Daily Post. We can't control the craziness on the streets. But the moment you cross in whatever building we're in tonight, that's our domain. Let's be family. Just an idea. Maybe look at your own life. What's the one word you want people to feel after they've encountered you? And you take that to your church, and now you've got a movement, and you don't even know what you did, really. You have everybody in different spheres of your church emulating parts of your culture. We're winning. I haven't talked about service flow yet. I haven't talked about preaching. I don't think that stuff is as big a deal as we think it is. I do think the culture that is unsaid but always felt is really the key to bringing people in these doors. You can shout me down if you want. You don't have to, but okay. People are like, we're not. Keep going. Fine. Number two, we need to be a church that is ready for the seasons. Fly through this like 12 minutes. I see it. Click. Big clock. 
We need to be a, a church that's ready for the seasons. The sun uh, consistently comes up, so you got to push through the long nights. And some of you guys have been there longer than me. Maybe some of you are on a different part of your journey. I know this. We need to be a church that's prepared for the seasons of life. Sunday is important, but Monday is just as important. It's always going to be there. I don't know who I'm preaching to. I wrote this last second for somebody in here. I do believe that sometimes we have an idea in our minds and we haven't really planned for the seasons yet. Um, I will not let a season become my story. And maybe it needs to be a message for your church as well. There are seasons that we're going to go through. And I think sometimes I've been around pastors who will either be a part of our network or I'll meet them at a conference. And they've been in a season for so long that now that season has become their story. They started full of faith. Isn't it amazing how sometimes people's theology will change with momentum? They used to believe that God was after people. A couple years of a tough season. Now, I don't know if I read the text the same. Really? I think I want to stay dedicated to who God's called us you know, to be, who we're called to reach in New York City, regardless of the season. Some seasons in church life, stuff just grows. You did nothing different. Love those seasons. You do the exact same thing in a different season, and it seems like you have done everything wrong. What's the emphasis the same as in each season? It's Jesus. If we stick to Jesus, and it's always only Jesus, we can do okay if the sun is shining, but we can also dance a little bit in the rain. I think the key is to make sure if you're in a season right now, to remind your own soul, this season is not my story. Jesus is my story. So if it's a season of lack, hey, Jesus is my story. If it's a season of provision, great. But should that season go, I'm still the same through every season. I've been hit with some, you know, I think the, the biggest season I try to get, you know, rid of in New York is the overwhelming one. Anybody ever struggle with being overwhelmed as a pastor? Again, no interaction. Great. So I'll just, I'll let you, maybe you have a friend that's been overwhelmed, but there, there are days, this is for them. You can just text this friend and say, I got it all together, but this guy from New York, he's like in over his head. Um, I think I've been through some seasons already. Well, we started on the premise of um, writing our own story for what success was. So someone said, hey, is, you, you know, your church has success, you guys doing well? I said, well, first of all, in any scale that you're using success, you're wrong. Because let's just say our church had 100,000. You know how many people are in the city? So we're losing. If you're doing ministry success, well, here's the problem with that. I know better ministers and more faithful churches that have less visible fruit, but they're a success. We were a success the day we got to New York because we obeyed the call. The rest of this fruit is supernatural. We don't have any control over it. It's God who brings the increase. You might think, and you might listen to us a little bit more because we have people, but the truth is that is not what gives us our worth. That is not what gives us our validation. God called us there. So, yep, we got some growth. Cool. But it's God who brings that. And I think I was in a season, I think year three, which is, um, you know, as I look back in other people's journey, it's a, tough, it's a tough year for a lot of things. People say it's the year Jesus died. So anytime you have a minister that like, hits year three, they're like, this is the year it all ends, you know. I'm like, thanks. But I had a friend that, um, who was real near and dear to my heart. He got saved coming to our church because the first time I, I met him, he was like, I'm never going to come to your church. That's how we started the conversation. I'm like, cool. We never said anything about it. And then a couple weeks later, he said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to your church because I heard there's hot girls there. I said, hey, cool, there are, whatever it takes. Um, and he started coming. He said, I want you to know I'm going to keep coming. 
Um, but it's, it's, not, it's not because of any other reason than I just don't have a lot to do at that time. Keep in mind, we had nine services. That didn't make any sense. He's losing logic uh, as he went. And he, I went to pick him up one day in Soho. He's like a, a bartender, um, model, nightclub guy. Been arrested over 50 times in his life. Uh, battled heroin his whole life. And he'd been sober, sober for long enough to have a clear head to where he was having a quiet time. He runs out and as I pick him up. And he goes, hey, I got saved this morning. So what do you mean? He's like, I just read my Bible, and I feel like God spoke to me about my sin, about stuff I can't change without him. So I just, I just gave my life to Jesus up there. I'm like, doesn't count. You got to do it in church where I can see it. You know, it's like. And, uh, and he was like a, he was a guy who brought hope. And I was on a, a, a trip where I was supposed to have him with me. This is a long story. And I couldn't organize it fast enough. He had been clean for a year. Um, while I was away, he had one relapse, cost him his life. Man, I'm like years removed from it, but you know how you can see those seasons, like right at your door? Wow. I'm trying to think of things. Chad, the, the cats, evil, back, I'm back. Um, I remember just feeling like, I'm so deflated because we had lost a couple other people and it seemed like it was that season of church where things were just, were just missing on some stuff. And then I lost somebody who was with me for a year straight, basically a part of our staff. He had one weak moment, cost him everything. I had to have one of our guys, Kane, go to his apartment and verify the body. Like it was as heavy as it gets. I remember thinking, wow, I don't know if, I think if I can't even keep my best friend alive, what am I doing? I'm in the wrong business. Who's ever felt like that? Uh, number one, I'd say, in those seasons, who do you call and how fast do you call them? Hope you got somebody that's going to tell you the right thing in those seasons. But I called a couple people. I had a, about two or three days of, uh, of just, I'm not going to do this. Then about day four, because it was a time to do his m m uh, memorial service, uh, I started questioning whether I was really going to do this. And I felt like God said, this is not your story. It's a season. So why don't you just... Make a decision to change your spirit, even if you can't change the season. Beware of preachers who tell you you have the right to change seasons. <laughs> That's God. But we can't change our spirit within a bad season. And I remember just sitting there going, this is a season. We will be a church that saves lives. We will be a church that reaches the, the most hurting, the most gnarly, the most whatever. We're going to keep reaching them. And just because we're in this moment and we're at this funeral doesn't mean this will be my story. I'm not going to get used to this. I'm not going to give up on this. I'm not just going to allow people to go. I don't care. And at that funeral, we had, uh, we had he had about three rows of non-Christian friends. And so I put them in row two and put the best Christians I know in front of them. And put like the other best Christians I knew and the five rows behind them created like a sinner's moat. And I, uh, I got up there at his, at his funeral and they gave me the mic last, and which I was grateful for. And I just looked at these people. I said, you know, my friend's gone, your friend's gone, but we'll, we'll see him again because of who Jesus is. You want to know what changed his life? A lot of y'all been curious. It was Jesus. It wasn't some church thing. It wasn't some religious kick. Religion is what got him hooked on drugs. Relationship with Jesus is what got him free in his soul. And we gave people a chance to repent on the spot. That entire sinner's moat changed that day. And people got saved at his funeral. I tell you that to let you know. I don't know what season you're in right now, but it's not your story. Your story is Jesus. 
be prepared for it. It's going to change. I see the horizon shifting in the future. If you're in here and you're discouraged, keep your head up because that's not your story. Your story is God's faithfulness. You will get through it. Remind yourself of that. Make sure you got the right people speaking in your ear when you need to hear it. Can you say amen if that matters to anybody? Apologize for being emotional. It's much more awkward for me. Number three, we need to be a church that makes it easy for people to get involved. I know this is simple, y'all, but we're a pretty simple church, and hopefully it can help encourage somebody. We need to be a church that makes it easy for people to get involved. I do believe we make it harder for people to get involved in church than Jesus makes it for people to get involved with him. That's a problem. And so at our church, we have a, a pretty simple method where if you're not currently committing a crime, we can use you. And even then... Even then, it's subjective to the, to the, and from that, from an outside context, I've read a lot of crazy stuff about us, and, and my, my theory on that is I'm glad, you know, if people aren't talking about what you're doing as a church, I don't think you're doing it right at some point. We can't get saved by a God who was murdered for being perfect and talked about and expect to be his followers on this earth and have everybody understand us, but... Um, obviously there's there's wisdom and there's leadership and there's correction and there's different spaces for different types of people all that stuff's true but as a as a B cultural point we want to be a church that makes it easy for people to get involved if you let people rent your church they'll rent it if you let them own it they will own it ownership is what changes a city New York is filled with people who rent their church and when they're done they move on at our church we believe no there are no members here only owners if you want to own this church, you tell me where. If you want this to be your church, you make it your church. And we find places for people to own. I wonder in your church, maybe if you went back and looked at it with fresh eyes, you say, how, how easy is it for people to get involved in this church? My favorite highlight of Hillsong, New York City Top 5, we were doing a Volunteer of the Month promo to show in church. As we're filming it, uh, the guy who we were highlighting got arrested. They served him a warrant, and they're handcuffed. And he's like, sorry, Pastor, it was, it was before I got saved. I'm like, What are we going to do in that spot in the service? But it was like the coolest, like, paradox of church. He left out a small detail that there were charges pending. And but I was really proud of him. I was like, yeah, you know what? That's, that's our church in the back of that car. He'll get, he'll get it together. You, somebody might judge us for being bad leaders. I judge them for being bad Christians because at the end of the day, you might not be in a, in a physical cop car, but you're guilty as well. And we serve a God that is about taking chains off, pulling the charges down. And I think there has to be a, has to be, there are three people that are with me. Everybody else is like, well, there has to be some sort of measuring stick. Right? I think there is, I think there is a, I just want to be a church where, I want to accept you like Jesus did. We'll work on you. There's a place for you. There's a time to confront. There's a time to talk about some hard truths. But I think we live in a country right now where we can't even have the conversation. I shall move on. Um, we, don't, we don't use people to build the church. We use the church to build people. I would venture to say, how much time do I have, sir? Honestly, 10 minutes, 5 minutes? I don't want to talk. Oh, I, I, I think uh, I lost the clock now. I'm in trouble. I think we, we sometimes are praying for stuff that might be in front of our face. God, bring me more, more, more people. And it's like, well, the people that you have now, there's gold in them. 
Mm. You know, Lord, bring me, you know, big entrepreneurs that I think, I don't know if y'all pray that I do. I pray for all different types of people, but sometimes I got to make sure we're raising up entrepreneurs. If Brian were here, he'd tell you, yeah, we have big time givers and influencers and all that, but they didn't start there. They started in our youth ministry. They started with nothing, and I found that to be true in New York. I'm not trying to build on people so we can have a great church. We have a great church so we can build great people and send them into the world. I know there's one man who, uh, one of our earliest supporters, he was sitting in the second row. Uh, he was in, he, he'd done prison ministry his whole life, and he was a guy, another, another drinker down here. <laughs> this place is carnal. <laughs> Need to bring back some reverence in the house. Um, he, he would shout me down. He would shout me down so loud that it would be awkward. Cause it, it, and I had a couple of our staff say, "Hey, do you want us to move that that gentleman?" I said, "No, I think I think we don't have a lot of a lot of people in his age age demographic. He's pretty cool. Let's just let it ride." And then week after week, people would leave. There was like a really cool Manhattan Upper East couple. It was like, "We really love the church, but we prefer it to be a little bit." quieter where we sit and that gentleman's a bit loud I said ma'am if, that, if that's going to offend you this whole place is going to offend you eventually so you know maybe you can find a place that's quieter but you know Rex stays and um, he took me on the street one time and he just would tell me stories about New York he introduced me to people who ran delis and, and people he knew every police officer on the street and I loved him for him and, and, and one day he was like hey do you want to come with me to Madison Square Garden because um, I'm doing a chapel for the Knicks I'm like yeah for sure how what and I went with him and watched him preach because I later found out he has no hearing in his left ear. So when he says amen, he doesn't really think. He's like, amen. You know? And so he's preaching to these Knicks players like it's the last thing he ever did. I met uh, the director of player personnel in that locker room, introduced me to the vice president of the team. I met the owner. Um, that's how I got a foothold in some of the NBA stuff that God has opened up for our church. People think that it's some cool story. Now Rex who could care less about basketball, had no idea I even cared about basketball players at all, because of course I love basketball, it's God's sport. And, but just Rex, second, third row, just being a guy who has no worldwide platform, no cool genes, could care less about what the trends are, doesn't even care about who he's preaching to, he just thinks of just like a prison cell or a palace or a New York City locker room, he's preaching the same. But through his life opened up a door I never would have thought. I guarantee you there are people that you're looking at every Sunday that have more in them than you know or even they know. That's what the local church can bring through that nobody else can. So, I'll just go number, number five. Is this helping anybody? It's number four, isn't it? We need to be aware, a church that's aware of the practical so God can tr truly use the supernatural. We need to be aware of the practical in church so God can take care of the supernatural. I think that the biggest enemies and deterrence to church growth has nothing to do with the devil because he is powerless. I think it can have a lot to do with our own lack of self-awareness. And this is going to be different to where you're from. I'm sure your service and your church context is, reflects where you're at. But I have been around long enough to know sometimes we have to keep it simple and realize what people need. I got a, a text from an NBA guy who is in a different city. And he said, can you please find me a church in this location? He goes, I just need some solid teaching that's not heresy and someone to watch my kids. 
he didn't say anything about music, didn't say anything about service flow, didn't say anything about cool stuff, didn't to ask me about the building. It reminded me that sometimes as ministers, as leaders of churches, we forget what the special card that we have that nobody else has. It's Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the gospel of grace that changes lives. And I think if we can sometimes look at church through that lens and say, what practically could be holding back the supernatural? You can pray all day. But if you don't, you know, get the guy who is not good at social settings off the front door, he's going to struggle. We might think it's sweet, but it's not sweet. If we don't do something about our hour and a half worship, I don't care how many evangelists you get. People are going to leave before they get to hear the word. If I, I think, and I'm, I'm speaking pointedly, just you can take it for what it's worth. I just know there have been times in our own church where I have been woken up by a self-awareness check. One of my friends one day is sitting next to me in church, and we're singing, and I think it's beautiful. And he goes, who's Hosanna? He's like, y'all are always singing about Hosanna, second week in a row. Who's Hosanna? Going cool. Yep. I got up, stopped the song. I said, hey, our fault. If you're new or visiting here, I'm sorry if we're using semantics. You do not understand. Here we are trying to tell you fit in, and we speak a different language. We don't speak a different language. Hosanna means the best praise I can possibly muster. Have you ever seen something you can't give a word to? That is what Hosanna is. When you see the king, when you see heaven, when you see healing, it's that word. The crowd, and he goes, okay. And he's like, he's never lifted a hand in his life. I think there are, would you even know if you're not self-aware? Do you have anybody in your life that could help you? Are you humble enough as a leader to have someone just do a self-awareness check in your church? It's a really powerful thing. And people think it's supernatural breakthrough at our church. Sometimes we're just like, are the seats comfortable? You know, is there the nursing mom's room? Why is that the worst room in church? Um, how long does it take to, ch to check a, a child? And keep in mind to come to Hillsong, New York City, you have to wait outside for an hour and a half. You have to pay $60 to park to get into a church you probably will stand in. So we already have as many barriers as you can imagine, but we're also trying to be aware, okay, with that being the context, how can we make this church an avenue for the Holy Spirit to move? Just a thought that might be helpful for somebody in here. I don't know who it is. Um, worship leaders. You know, we've, we've taught our worship leaders, don't you dare look at people and say, lift your hands. Simple. But if you, if you have a row full of people with you, watch how different your church experience is. I mean that, like I bring friends all the time so I can remember what's weird. So if you have a friend who already thinks it's weird and already doesn't get it, and then you have, uh, first of all, our whole service order is weird in the first place, but we, we encourage people to jump and go crazy, and then within five seconds, everyone's swaying. And that stuff, it needs to be addressed. Like we at least need to say, hey, by the way, we know it's weird. Here's why we lift our hands. Here's why. So our worship leaders say, if you feel comfortable, most of us are going to worship God like this because we believe surrender means this. If you walked out of the streets of Manhattan, someone puts a gun at your back, what are you going to do? Whole crowd goes up. That's what surrender is. So you don't have to, but we're going to, before you know it, people are atheists. Like, so that makes sense. It's barrier removal day. Every single time I walk into church, barrier removal. How many things can I, how, how many rows can I pass to go up to the one guy who's back here like this? We'll shake his hand. How many things can we do in church to make it easy for the Holy Spirit to move? Of course he can do what he will, but I do believe that God uses people who are humble and available to the point you will wreck your own service to make sure it's actually reaching the people God's called you to reach. Um, number five. 
we need to, no, number five is we need to be a church that doesn't neglect the feedback, good or bad. I'm just going to throw that in there. I think sometimes we get too precious with that. For us, criticism is a huge help. Either we're right and we get to grow more confident or we're wrong and we get to change. I think sometimes in church we forget that sometimes feedback can be from heaven, good or bad. Number six, we need to be a church that remembers proximity creates passion. Distance creates distortion. And the only way to fix it is intentional communication. We'll just end it there. Come back next year and we'll do point seven. We need to be a church. Ready for this? It's good. It helps us. Proximity creates passion. Distance creates distortion. The only way to fix it is intentional communication. And this goes on every single layer of church, how you communicate to your staff, how you communicate to the people you're trying to reach in the world. Proximity creates passion. Distance creates distortion. What I mean by that, if something's far away, you don't know if that red neon sign is 7-Eleven or Krispy Kreme. This is life or death. The only way you're going to figure it out is through intentional engagement communication. I think in church and in our world, we are in trouble because proximity creates passion. Distance creates distortion. If ministry comes down to who you know and what you see and what you feel, we are in trouble in church worlds because distance is creating a lot of distortion. If you don't know what something is, it's very easy to throw a label at it. If you don't know what you're shooting at, it's very easy to just shoot a lot of bullets. But if you know proximity creates passion, it's amazing how things that you used to think you might just change a little bit. The way you used to say stuff, you might say it a little different. If I have an issue on our staff, if I feel distance and it's distorted, I got to go communicate to find out exactly what it is. If I am looking into our world today, my prayer for church leaders is that we would understand proximity creates passion. And when I don't see a lot of passion for something, I know exactly why. There's no proximity. And Brian said something, you can get mad at him if this is too heavy, but he said, if you have a small world, you will have a big opinion. If you have a big world, you will have a smaller but sharper opinion. Think about that. The bigger your world gets, it's amazing how people who carry a big ministry and are doing great things, they're slow to speak. And when they do, it's very sharp. People who have a small world, they have a lot to say about everybody. I pray that we have such a big world and God opens up so many doors for us to meet that we're very careful with our words because proximity creates passion. I've been to churches where I know issues are not important because there's distance. Real easy to have a real hard line vocal stance on something like homosexuality for instance if you don't think there's any gay people in your church trust me there are just so you know but if you don't think that affects your church it's real easy to say here's the 10 things about homosexuality it's amazing what happens when proximity creates passion it doesn't necessarily change what you say but empathy will absolutely change how you say it real easy right now to write off the racism stuff because there's very little diversity in the American church. So it doesn't even matter. Yeah, we're all good. Most of our church we're going to deal with, it's predominantly one particular race. So it's very distant. So it's like, man, some of these people need to get off race. We've had people leave our church because they're like, we get it. We need to stop talking about racism. Ah, you don't get it. We're talking about sin. Big difference. It's amazing how proximity creates passion. 
distance creates distortion. I believe as a leader of a church, even in areas that I do not know, if it's not going to be relevant to New York, I have to somehow intentionally create a bridge so I can be a better Christian. I knew it was going to be quiet. That's fine. But please hear my heart on this. What I'm trying to tell you is that there is going to come a moment where God's going to call us as a church to be able to bring the gospel to people that have never heard it the way that we can bring it. And if there is no proximity and there's no passion, it's no wonder why we keep seeing this distance. People don't know who Jesus is. They can't see him. People don't know what a real church is because there's so many other ones in the way. All I'm saying is not to change theology, not to change how passionate you are about a view. I'm saying, do you know the people that are affected by some of these issues? I sat in a room with 50 black leaders in my church about uh, five months ago. It was the hardest three hours of my life. I sat there and I said, y'all tell me how it feels to be black in Hillsong, New York City, go. Tell me how it feels to be black in New York City, go. And we wept and we cried, we disagreed, we laughed, but I sat there and I thought I would never would have known, never would have known. I became a better preacher that day. Our worship changed that day. Our doors changed that day. I had a meeting with a hundred people who struggle with their sexuality. Same thing. I've never been the same after that meeting. My theology hasn't changed a bit. What I believe is God's word is God's word. The way I believe that the New Testament opens it up is beautiful to me. It's not damaging. But the way I go about what I believe has drastically changed because of proximity. Now, if you want to talk about somebody, be careful. We just might know them. I had a pastor say, hey, I'm doing a sermon series on the famous. Week one is what would God say to Kim Kardashian? What do you think about that? I said, I'll just ask her. <laughs> he never planned ever in his worldview that that person would come into his church. I want to value every human to the point where I can't just make a statement this Sunday because what if my mom, what if somebody's loved one, what if somebody down the road, like, I want to treat it like it's my own family because it is. Um, I'm going to pray for you. I, I believe it. Uh, I know that some of that stuff is touchy, but I don't mean for it to be. What I'm saying is I have found so much hope, so much gospel power in proximity because that's exactly what Jesus did. There was no distance with Jesus got in the middle of it, in it, but not of it. I think our churches, maybe do something you've never done when you leave this amazing, what do y'all call this? It's not a round table. Art has cooler names. Huddle. If it was the Hillsong Network, it would be like a meeting, but it's art. It's a huddle. It's better. <laughs> Who can you intentionally create relationship with just to learn, just to glean? You know, some of the young people that freak you out, invite them over. The people in that back row of your church that you think are just ungodly and unruly, go find out their story. In no way does uh, being a friend mean advocacy for a lifestyle. In no way does empathy mean I promote your cause. Empathy simply means I sit in the path of. That's all it means. Once I told our church that, everybody was like, okay, cool. Empathy, it means to sit in your path. Doesn't say anything about me changing. It means I'm looking from a different perspective. Can I pray for you? Because I believe the moment in time we have to be the church, to be the gospel, to be the hands and feet of Jesus is nothing like it. And I do believe that God can use us in ways we haven't prayed for just yet. His kingdom come, his will be done. 
in your city and in my city, in this church and in that church. Doesn't matter if they sing it different, do it different, preach it different, the pews, chairs, whatever it may be. Let's believe that God is going to have his way in our cities. You agree with me? Yeah. Can you stand? Can I pray with you? I hope that was all right. I hope there was something in there that you can take. Um, close your eyes just take a deep breath remember that God is in this he's making a way where there is no way father I pray that as we focus on you Lord that you would break our heart for the lost again season we speak strength we speak hope the power of the holy spirit on their ideas on their revelation on their staff Lord, we pray for financial breakthrough we pray for leadership breakthrough we pray for things to happen that we haven't even prayed for yet lord because you are the god that does miracles still to this day we love you in jesus name if you believe it can you say amen amen i love y'all thank you